0: Hello there and welcome to another episode of Jedi Order Podcast, everybody. It's going to be a slightly different episode today, so as if it's on holiday, so we're going to postpone our Bad Batch episodes till next week, where we are do the two this episode this Friday and the one from last Friday. We will also be covering the first part of the first season of Kevin Smith's Masters of the Universe, because there's been quite a lot of conversation about that over the past week. So we'll be taking a deep dive into that to see what all the chat is about. So that brings us to today's episode which is going to be quite a different one but we definitely thought this was worthwhile sharing. I stumbled upon an old interview back from 1977 that Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill and Harrison Ford did for a Canadian TV show that no longer exists on a production company and TV network that no longer exists. But I'd never seen it before and I thought it was quite interesting. It's obviously a very dated interview and uh, the style of interviewing back then was uh, nothing like it is today. But it's still very interesting to hear those guys chatting in the midst of Star Wars. I think it would already be now in the US. And as we know, there was quite a delay from when it first came out in the US and then it going to other territories. So I think it already had some success in America before then coming out in Canada, which is what these interviews had taken place for. They'd taken place for a Canadian TV show at the time. So we thought, why not share it with everybody else? Because it's quite a fun thing to listen to. So without further ado, we're going to pop that on. And I think it starts with Carrie Fisher, then Mark Hamill, and then Harrison Ford. They're all solo interviews, but they're all very interesting to listen to. So here are the original cast of Star Wars from 1977. Enjoy.
1: We are here in California on Star Wars with Carrie Fisher, and I would like to say hello because it's been a while since you were in Toronto, Canada, on the stage of the Royal Alexandra Theatre in Irene.
2: Five years.
1: Is it five years?
2: I was young then. And look, you're yes. younger now. Yeah, I get younger all the time. I yeah. just
1: finished saying to you that without the ruby red lipstick that Princess Leah wears in Star Wars, you look much softer.
2: Well, that's not my fault. What about the earphones?
1: Yes, <laughs> yes. They may bring back Mickey Mouse.
2: They won't bring back anything uh, else. Will
1: you tell us something? Is a woman who recently, in speaking with the New York Times, was talking about her life and her career, and pointed out that you wanted to live and work in New York because you were serious about acting.
2: Did I say Are that?
1: you living in New York City? Yes. but Why I, are I've... you in New York?
2: I live in it because it's much more conducive for me to studying. I have difficulty getting around it, you know, you would have 20 minutes to buy a paper. And it takes a, you really have to be disciplined. It's like a rainy day with nice weather out. You really have to make your own plans and stick to them, but in New York you just, outside get on a bus or in a cab and you get to where you want to go and they have great cannolis there. <laughs> Nothing above and beyond serious acting. It's really the best cannolis in the United States I would safely say.
1: Carrie what propelled you to London? Were you at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts? No I was
2: at the Central School of Speech, Speech and, and drama. drama. It's like that except the Central School is a three-year course and Rada's two. I didn't complete the course there as you can probably tell but I uh, uh, it's it's one of the few places that really does a condensed study, period. You know they do about a 12-hour day, and it's a lot of actually what I guess is the equivalent of English training, you know, literature and poetry. And I was a 10th grade dropout, so I'm going to r- remain sort of sophomoric for the rest of my life. But uh, so it did give me somewhat of a formal education in that respect. But I also I wanted to go to a school. It was a, they don't have acting schools, you know. Banging lockers, passing notes, and cheating on tests.
1: Can I share something with you? Because I'd I'd like to to remind you of something and ask you if, several years later, a lot has changed. In 1975, February to be exact, you wrote a poem. Mm. And it was quite a moving poem. Your poem was called Hollywood Kids, and I'd just like to read a part of it, although I know all of it. And you wrote... Be kind to children of movie stars driving around in their foreign cars, their sun-tanned, sunglassed faces, their petty smooth disgraces. They fell from a golden womb only to collide with a precocious gloom. Were you writing about yourself? Are you now exempt from that poem?
2: Uh, I hope so. At this point I am. I'm having a lot of fun with Star Wars. I think that, that one, when they grow up in a show business family because they're around adult parties and so on, you become sophisticated, which has nothing to do with being intelligent or anything else. It's just kind of mannerisms of adults. And it, it you grow up too fast, and that's the only problem with it, I think. A lot of the golden wombs, people come from platinum ones, look at Liza Minnelli, you know, it can be better than that. I don't know. I had somewhat of a problem at some points, but... Uh, is there writing? Unexamined. Is
1: there writing beyond the poem Hollywood Kids?
2: No. That was it. Well, I've been working as an actress lately, but I have net, that was that was kind of a fluke. A friend of mine had it written. And also there was poetic license in there. I, gloom might have been too strong of a word. I just was rhyming with I don't know what else it was. I, I'd forgotten about that conveniently enough.
1: Does does New York, does living in New York give you a perspective? Living in New York, studying in London? Give you a perspective of California and the entertainment industry you could never have had at home.
2: Yeah, I think I think I have had that advantage of having kept away from L.A. for long long periods of time since I was 13. I, I haven't really lived here for a long time, and I think it can it can be a little bit of a problem. I would probably a bat, be a backgammon expert and a tennis pro and so on, and I would have missed out on a lot of other things that I think are more fulfilling. I don't know, you know, I. I I think it's, it can be very narrow out here. What I, where I was living, I, I certainly don't feel that about. A lot of people certainly leave very full lives and, you know, and, and manage to live out here as well. The weather's great. I agree. I spend a lot of time out here though. It's the only place you can get work. I love doing films, so I would have to spend a lot of time out here to do that.
1: Okay, Star Wars is playing in theaters all over North America and soon the world. We know that you work in Shampoo. We all know the scene that people remember you for. What about the future? Star Wars is, is in theaters. What about Carrie Fisher's work from
2: now on? Well, after I finish this, I'll probably go back to New York and pick up with my studies unless I get work. I'm up for a couple of things, that ambiguous state that a lot of actors are probably in for half their careers. But uh, I, I'm hoping to get some work With whom being. are you studying? I study with a man named Michael Howard sometimes. There's a coach named Marilyn Freed who I study with. I have cooking classes, dancing. I do <laughs> are
1: you
3: fancy? all the
2: dilettante things. I. I was never very good at fencing in school. I took it at Central, but uh, I, there aren't that many parts where it would call for, I think, maybe Joan of Arc carries around a sword, but that's as far as she gets with it. I'm all right with it, but I was never very good.
1: Will you tell us, I've, I've been asking several of your associates, what, what do you think it is about Star Wars that is bringing out the child in all of us? Why are we stomping and cheering? Bad guys
2: and good guys A very distinct, I think, you know, two different... Uh, classes of those people that you get so many loser films now i not you go to you used to go to films to escape you used to go and think fred and ginger and rita hayworth and isn't it lovely now you go and you think thank christ there's no shark chasing me or i'm not about to kill a politician or there's no car behind me that's going to eat my children you know it's a different kind of escapism and i don't think it's as much fun and i think that it's that it's time for that anti-hero thing to sort of take a back seat to the fun and films and so forth, to be able to lose yourself in it in a good way and not just think, oh, that's really awful. My life is a peach compared to that, you know, which has happened so much, I think.
1: All right. I want to thank you for speaking with us. I want to thank you for being able to meet the woman several years later who wrote the poem Hollywood Kids oh. and to find you a different person, at least different from the one that I thought was presenting herself in that poem.
2: What did you wiser. Think? Oh, I
1: thought I, I just I just find you quite obviously older, wiser, more experienced, knows- and someone who knows what she wants to do.
2: I think that's about four years ago, I think. I don't know. The past four years and <laughs> five
1: years since Toronto.
2: It's hyperspace.
1: I thank you very okay, much.
2: Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
1: Carrie Fisher, Star Wars. We'll be right back with more.
2: Wait a minute. Now I want to see this. where did you get
1: Mark Hamill is with us. We're at 20th Century Fox. We're talking about Star Wars. On is the this part of the
3: set? Is set? Well, at first I thought it might be Tatooine, my desert planet, but it looks like an old Roy Rogers movie. We have Hollywood rubber rocks here. We want to make you feel right at
1: home. I do. It looks very Canadian. <laughs> it's not quite the Canadian Rockies, but there's a semblance of something familiar. I want to talk about the film and yeah. the effect that it's had on you, because we know... Of the extensive television work. Yeah. The soaps, the dramas, right. everything that you've done, that right. debut in 1970 was Bill Cosby? That's Bill right. Bill Cosby show.
3: Right, I had two lines and it got me my SAG card. And uh, I basically made a nice living in television since then. Uh, only a few things stand out in my mind as something I'd really want you to see. You know, I mean, you can. Uh, count on one hand really because we deal in quantity you know, they crank that stuff out uh, I did Sarah T with Linda Blair which was I thought a wonderful script by David and Esther Shapiro and uh, played Patricia Nielsen son Eric meeting the the people that you get to meet and traveling like that's the most fun and in Star Wars I got to go to Africa I'd never been got to go to England and had never been so, uh, in a way, the job paralleled the character in the script because I was being swept away in an incredible adventure in movie making, courtesy of George Lucas, and Luke is swept away in a fantastic adventure, you know,
1: light years from Earth. When Recently, when you were talking about the role of Luke Skywalker, and your director screenwriter george lucas who we know gave us american graffiti before star right. wars you equated yourself with george lucas and suggested yes. that mark hamill and luke skywalker were indeed george lucas i still
3: believe this very strongly because george is uh... like a, a kid that is so smart they put him in college at age eleven he's still he's Loves toys, comic books. Uh, I think he sat down and thought, well, what would I like to do? I mean, when he wrote the character, well, I get to swing across with the princess. I'll write that down. You know, uh, I couldn't help. Carrie brought him. Carrie Fisher came back to America for about a week and then came back to England and bought him a Buck Rogers uh, liquid... Helium pistol or something some 30s toy little space gun and I'm not kidding you Brian. He was running around the halls Zapping couldn't you couldn't pry the thing out of his hand with a crowbar uh, He's really delightful. He's a shy man and uh, it Took me a, a while to get to Accept his rhythms, but once I did I was completely comfortable with him and I think in a project this spectacular you need somebody that you can just completely trust because so much of it you know we didn't see um, the hologram they would just put a piece of tape on the ground or when i'm working with the remote and the lightsaber it's all just pretend yes. and uh... in a cutaway cockpit which they're rocking slowly there's nothing but blue screen and you have to imagine the tie fighters coming in and the imperial star cruisers or whatever and then to see it in a theater and see that the, 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 the John Dykstra and his special effects men, ah, I I had no idea. I'd seen photographs of the models and so forth. But I mean, well, remember at the beginning of the film that Star Cruiser comes in yes. and fills the screen? I think that's one of the greatest hooks in the picture. Yes. Because right away you say, okay, folks, this is it. Um, it's only this long. I mean, it's... And in a way, George didn't want reporters and everything to see. You know, it's like a magician being careful about giving away his tricks. But I can tell you that you see the models there. There's no way you can conceive of how it's going to look. It it really is... uh, over 900 people worked on this film. So when people come up to me and say, I love the movie, it's hard to say thank you. And feel justified. I want to pull out a list and show them the other 948 people. Well, when you all accept
1: your awards, you can thank everyone and have a special (laughs) ceremony to thank the 900 people who helped make Star Wars. Actually, if any actors walk away with any awards, I think it'll probably be Chewbacca and (laughs) 3PO. We know about the success of Star Wars, and it's a phenomenal hit. What has it done to your career? What is Mark Hamill working on or approaching? What's next? Well,
3: um, I'm doing a film called Stingray for. two classmates of George, George's. One was just before him in USC and one was just the year after him at USC. Now they've written like Sugarland Express and Bingo Long and MacArthur, but it's their first outing as a director and producer. Now they had seen uh, rushes of Star Wars and everything didn't think I was quite right because it's a real character. It's a, contemporary? Yes, it's a contemporary. You're back on Earth. Yes, I'm back on Earth. I'm going from starships to Stingray Corvettes. It's about a kid that's so obsessed with automobiles that he really is emotionally dwarfed in everything else. And uh, George kind of steered them in the right direction. I mean, they, he I think they suggested he suggested a, something to look at. Uh, so that I was able to test for, for Stingray, and I'm really excited about it, because like I say, it's from going... To, from this kaleidoscope of magic to a, a very real um, human uh, contemporary baby. Well, I have to thank you. We're getting a cue.
1: I thank oh, you for Star Wars. I wish we could talk We longer. get to Canada. You're in Toronto. Yes. We'll I'd continue. love to.
3: I'd love to, Brian.
1: Really You're invited. Thank, thank you very much. Pleasure. Nice talking to Mark you. Mark Hamill, Star Wars. And we'll be right back with more. That, that was fun. so fast. Yes, really was. I'm sure
3: yeah. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you, thank you, Brian. You oh, hey, and I have a list of nine hundred.
4: Call me Harrison. Thank you. What
1: can we do for you? Yeah. We are rolling. We are rolling. Yeah. All right. I just want to establish that we are here in California at 20th Century Fox. You are Harrison Ford. Oh, yeah. We have seen Star Wars. And I've, I'm interested, you know, when it, in looking at a film like Star Wars, you wonder, as one did with a film like Kubrick's Space Odyssey, where, where the actors figure in the imagination of a filmmaker like George Lucas. Do you ever feel in retrospect, now that the film is playing, yeah. is a tremendous success, that it's the film and then the actors? Do you, think, oh, do you yeah. think he gave a lot of time to thinking about characterization of actors versus the effects of the yeah. film?
4: Well, I I think George is a spectacular filmmaker. He, uh, he wrote the script, of course, you know. And uh, I think he created characters that are almost actor-proof. And I think that's the way it works. He doesn't have a lot of communication with the actor after he's... Uh, chosen I mean there are specific things but you'll never get George to explain to you what it is that you're supposed to be doing Uh, he just uh, defines by uh, by his script uh, everything you really need to know and you just uh, get in there and go to work
1: I'm curious about the actor who left was it you left Wisconsin Yeah, You were working in Laguna Beach, California in that production of John Brown's Body. Right. And the the story is, we have to find out how much of this is apocryphal, and the publicity department creates a man's background. Yeah. But you were doing that production of John Brown's Body and someone at the Laguna Theatre Yeah. was responsible for your receiving a contract with Columbia Pictures on what was then the new talent program. Right. Was it a seven-year contract? Yeah. Yeah. Did it surprise you that your debut in film was as a bellboy and did Heat on a merry-go-round? I mean, no. After doing John Brown's no. body?
4: No. it didn't surprise me at all. I mean it, it's a, it was a whole different medium and uh, of course you had to start at the bottom work out.
1: But you, you couldn't have stayed for seven years because you were very quickly working with Universal and doing a feature like Journey to Shiloh.
4: They, uh, they didn't really want me to stay. <laughs> I lasted a year and a half at Columbia and uh, then I went under contract to Universal, and it lasted a year and a half
1: there. What happens to a man, emotionally, who knowing that he's having, having chosen as precarious an occupation as that of actor, yeah. marries the year after he's out of college, yeah. moves to California, yeah. and in, in the midst of all of this, you temporarily abandon acting, and you're working at carpentry. Yeah. I mean, why the total abandonment of acting as a craft?
4: Um, well, they drove me crazy. I mean, I drove myself crazy. The situation was too much for me to handle. At the, I, I was a baby actor. I was 21 years old. I didn't know anything about acting. Suddenly, I were an actor. And uh, I couldn't. Uh, what I couldn't deal with were the relationships between me and other people. I, I, could, I, I probably couldn't do the work as, as well as I should have been able to do either. I mean, you've got to learn uh, from experience. But uh, I wasn't able to uh, to deal with people as well as I should have been able to deal with.
1: Harrison, where, where was your wife, Mary, in the middle of all of this? I mean, was she a woman who was not in the profession? Me. No, she. She was a civilian. Yeah. Did she understand what you were going through as an actor? I think she understood what I was going through as a person, but I
4: I don't know. She never knew another actor. But. Uh, it's the same for everybody. I mean, I don't think that acting is such a strange profession. I think you, sa- you face the same challenges and uh, vicissitudes in acting as you do in anything else.
1: But how in the middle of, the, of this chosen profession as a carpenter did American yeah. Graffiti? Graffiti. <coughs> Excuse me.
4: Well, the I, character's I, name I, is Bob Falfa.
1: Yeah. In how did that come into your life?
4: Well, I realized that I was not going to have my second child delivered for free the way that my first one was because my Screen Actors Guild health insurance had lapsed and I had to go back in the business and make at least $1,200 to have this child for free the way the first one was. So I contrived to get back into the business for a little bit. And then I realized that I really wanted to get back into it completely. This was but I've continued to do carpentry for... the probably two or three years after that.
1: On a professional level? I mean, you were yeah. working as a carpenter yeah. for other people?
4: Yeah. Running my own jobs.
1: Why are your sons named Benjamin and Willard? <laughs> I mean, is, are, is, are those family names? Or are uh, they? No. no, but it, it does prove that there's a
4: God in heaven if we can have jokes like that on earth. I, we, those movies weren't out yet when, when I named those kids.
1: You know, we're, we're here because of Star Wars and yet, while well, Star Wars is playing in the theaters all across North America now as we talk, you have the Coppola film Apocalypse Now. You have a film you've just finished with Henry Winkler and Sally Field called Heroes. Directed by Jeremy Kagan, yeah. Right? Right. Do you uh, feel that you've arrived? I mean, do you feel the success that you should be feeling right now with that I kind feel, of work?
4: I feel uh, much calmer than I have in years. I have the opportunity now to, I have a little financial security. I'm able to make a choice of my next project. Uh, On a basis that I've never enjoyed before. That makes me feel good.
1: What's your role in Apocalypse Now? I play an intelligence colonel. Colonel in in Army Intelligence. Was all of your work filmed in the Philippines? It was, yeah. Hot and nasty. Not like California, where it's just hot and intermittently nasty. (laughs) And in Heroes? What do you play in Heroes? Uh, I play a returning Vietnam veteran.
4: uh, A Missouri farm boy.
1: What were you doing in Summerstock in those early years? Was um, it Williams Bay? Yeah, it was. And you were doing musicals and drama? Yeah. What kind of roles? Oh, roles completely
4: out of my range. Reverend Shannon in... Uh, Night oh God, of the Iguana? Night of the Iguana. Uh, Captain Billy in Little Mary Sunshine and uh, Joe and Damn Yankees. That, that I would have been right for. But I got the opportunity to do things that I, I never would have gotten a chance to do in more professional situations. It was good for me.
1: You're going back to the stage? What happens to the stage-trained actor who finds himself successful in film? Can you afford to go back on the stage now? I can now. I couldn't when, uh, when I was uh,
4: during the last 12 years. I could make much more money as a carpenter than I could as, a,
1: as a, an actor in the Are stage. Are there any block. plans to go back on the stage? Are I'd you like reading scripts? I'd like very much to. But isn't, isn't California not? I mean, I, I'm not minimizing the fact that the Huntington-Hartford, the Amundsen, and, and the Westwood Playhouse and all that's happening out here, but well, not it seems to be notoriously not a theater. I think that's a misconception. There's a lot of theater here, and, uh, and a lot of it very good. Well, there's always Stratford, Canada. I have to thank you for speaking to us. Thank you very it's much. Pleasure. Pleasure.
0: Hi guys, thanks for listening to another episode of Jedi Order Podcast. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe and may the Force be with you.